Welcome to Future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, and together we'll explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Future of XYZ is presented in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Future of XYZ. Uh, this is season four, episode two, and we are talking about a topic that certainly takes a lot more than the time we have allotted, which is the future of democracy. Joining us uh, to talk about the future of democracy is Dr. Andrew Schmuckler. Andy, thank you so much for joining us on Future of XYZ. Well, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, your background is super fascinating. I mean, you have an incredible accomplishment academically, um, having done postgrad work at, at Yale and, um, and, and, and obviously graduating summa cum laude undergrad from Harvard, but also University of Chicago before going on to get your doctorate at, uh, at Berkeley, UC Berkeley, um, in my home state of California. And, and you've been following for the last 40 years kind of civilization and, and democracy within kind of human relationships, it seems to me. And what I want to kind of understand as we as, as we start this, you've written six books, you have commentated all over you know, the country, nationally, locally, on websites and on NPR. Um, and, and, and you ran, I mean, you took this ethos that you have in 2012 and ran for a U.S. Congress seat challenging in a very red district in Shenandoah in Virginia, in the 6th District, running for Congress. I, I want to start with this broad background that you have in democracy. Like, what is democracy? Because from my understanding, obviously, it goes back to the Greeks and demos being people and kratos being power. So it's kind of like the will of the people is kind of how I think about it, at least from my political science understanding. Do you define it that way? And do you still think that's the definition of democracy today? Yeah, it democracy is a an essential innovation in the history of civilization. It solves a very old problem, which is that power has generally been something which has been used on the people at their expense. So democracy was trying to set things up to change the direction of control. And the will of the people is what's supposed to be the power that governs. And, you know, it's, you know, when you ask what's the future of democracy, I, let me just say, if the future of democracy is not good, the future of human civilization is likely also not to be good because democracies are the ones that are approaching uh, the problems that need to be solved. For, for all of humanity or for all of the people, again, coming back to people. There's the idea that tyranny is a bad thing because every person has equal worth. I mean, that's a fundamental underlying idea is that people can't be justifiably exploited or annihilated or something like that. You know, what the Greeks said was the nature of the world. The strong do what they can while the weak suffer what they must. That is not the way we want the world to be. And democracy is, is an essential tool for getting us into a world where the, the strong and the weak are equally respected and, and are equally able to thrive. It's, it's, a, it's a very, very important point because you describe democracy as a tool. And what you're describing is a tool for civil society, actually. And I, I mean, a lot of the work that I do as a brand builder and strategist, remarkably in the last 
five to 10 years, keeps coming back to Maslow's pyramid, the hierarchy of human needs, right? Which I know has been disputed in all sorts of ways. But the fundamentals at the base of the pyramid are a sense of security, you know, shelter, food, and 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 healthcare, really, in order to come to the top and be self-actualized. I don't, we don't need to get into Maslow's pyramid, but I think what you said is the strong and the weak, we need to take care of each other because otherwise the whole thing falls apart. Is, is that a fair subject, like kind of summary of, of democracies as a tool in your opinion? Well, we can, we could uh, go into a theories about what constitutes human well-being. <laughs> you know, Maslow's one approach, uh, I'm not that impressed with it, but um, but the, the point is, the, the immediate point is that human well-being is what counts. Yes. Uh, that when you've got a pharaoh and hundreds of thousands of people laboring uh, like human livestock to build his monuments, Human well-being is not being maximized, not at all. And that was the way all the early civilizations were, basically. And, and, and one could argue that, I mean, coming out of the World Cup in Qatar, one could argue that perhaps that we haven't evolved so, so far. Well, you look at Russia now. Yeah. You know, Russia is a country in which uh, they've got a, a completely top-down power system. Which has put it onto the uh, onto the hot top uh, a human monster. I mean, he's got his clevernesses, and you know he's been impressive in some ways. But we've seen the choices he makes. He is a human monster. Absolutely. And his the the war crimes in, in Ukraine right now are 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 naked uh, display yeah. of what happens, what comes to the top. So you really have a huge interest if you're a human being living in a society in making sure that power doesn't go to the people who succeed at grabbing power. I I, I really I think that's a very valid point. And I and I want to talk about power because I think it's a very it's an important piece of your work. It's an important piece of my own personal philosophy and what I wrote my undergraduate thesis on. But I wanna I wanna come back to democracy for a sec as we you know, as we as we look towards the future, if we look into the past and the recent past, since World War II, one could argue that democracy has kind of been the 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 stalwart of of building a, a globalized society and, and and the capitalistic world that we live in. And if post World War II you weren't in a democratic society, you were behind, you know, the Iron Curtain. You were kind of ostracized from the rest of the world. And yet we see this kind of trend reversing. I mean, whether we're talking about Israel recently, the election in Italy, whether we're talking about obviously what's happened in the U.S., what was happening, you know, in Brazil until recently, although there's, you know, just this last week, there's been some craziness. I mean, there are places all over the world, not to mention, obviously, Russia, India, China. I mean, where we really are seeing what I would call fascism. I mean, it's, it's the antithesis of democracy and whatever you want to call it. What do you attribute this trend to? Well, I really deeply wonder about that question. I've got a, a couple things to to say that I'll get to in a second. Uh, but let me just say that uh, when when the same thing seems to be happening in a lot of different places that are, don't seem to be connected, 
I, I smell a, a profound mystery. Um, uh, uh, it's the zeitgeist mystery, the idea of a spirit of the times. There, there's something going on. I don't quite understand what it is, why now. Um, there's, it's not the first time that democracy has receded. I mean, uh, democracies were um, endangered also in the 1920s and fascism arose. Uh, for, and, and, but there also have been times you know, in the post-war period where Brazil got a military takeover, Greece. You know, so it, this, but the, it is true that for the past 20 years, democracy has been losing ground. And just 30 years ago, a major American thinker named Francis Fukuyama wrote a book called The End of History, saying basically, okay, the game is over. Liberal democracy is the future. Uh, you know, the, 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 it's, it's decided. But evidently not. I mean, common sense would dictate that it, it bodes better outcomes, which is, I think, how Fukuyama got to that conclusion consensus, right? But the question is, why are we reversing? Well, it's not only a better outcome, it, it won the Cold War. Yeah. True. <laughs> That's Fukuyama's, uh, you know, 1992 or something like that. So we won, you know, 40 some years of struggle against the communists uh, uh, and the United States won. The Soviet Union fell apart and, you know, but uh, so why is it that um, uh, the, 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 the Turkish uh, uh, democracy has become this kind of fascistic state. And at the same time in Brazil, like you mentioned, the Bolsonaro, I mean, ugly, ugly, ugly. Yep. Um, and not and, good and, for the people, coming back to like what demos is. So anyway, I really don't know the answer to the question. I think there's something profound going on. Uh -huh. uh, in human civilization, somehow there's a wind blowing. I can't see what the wind is. Is uh, it got to do with um, social media and the ability of um, certain kinds of people to utilize that tool for certain kinds of ends? That's probably a piece of it. But you know, I, my instinct is there's something more profound at a spiritual and moral level having to do with the quality of human life. And one of the things to say about democracy is. The future of human of, of, of democracy depends on the future of human consciousness, okay. because the whole idea of our founders was that we were rational beings, that we could function in a society where the truth defeats the lie, and that we were uh, that we could count on some basic human decency to inform how we deal with each other. Well, recent experience in the United States calls all of those things into question about whether we can count on them. So the, the future of democracy in America depends on, all, is intimately connected with where are people's heads at? Yeah, I think I think what's fascinating to me, I mean, my, I can go in so many directions on this one, Andy, because again, you know, but this is what, this is what I wrote my undergraduate thesis on 25 years ago, but nonetheless, I, I have always said I feel very fortunate that I wrote my political science undergraduate thesis on kind of my philosophy on life. And a lot of this has to do with like respect and reciprocity. And we're talking about like foundations of civil society require an education. So whether it's, you know, as you say, social media, fake news, misinformation, you know, I have to say or, you know, again, the bots and the meddling or whether, whether it's just, you know, I mean, maybe it's greed. I mean, you've talked to, I want to come to this. You've talked a lot about you know, and you and you ran your 2012 congressional candidacy on this kind of 
moral crisis in America, which I think is profound. But the three tenets are like this kind of imperialistic impulse, which we are seeing when we talk about the demise of democracy in other places in the world. You talk about kind of this crazy religiosity that emphasizes division and conflict, which of course gets us to power very quickly, right? That's the haves and the have-nots of power and influence. I mean, it's Machiavellian at its worst, but it's also this religious fervor of like otherizing. But you talk about something that's really profound to me, which is unbridled greed. I want to talk about that piece of greed and division of financial resources um, that comes out of capitalism, which is an acquisition model. And it's not required for democracy to have capitalism, right? That is not, those two things are not intricately linked. And yet somehow the American version of democracy that we have exported to the world talks about capitalism. And this accumulation of wealth, I think has created quite a schism. So I'm very interested in that unbridled greed as a force that is destroying democracy. Can you talk about that for a minute? Yeah, you, you caught me. Uh, I'm not expecting this, but I'm delighted anyway. Um, see, it, it, I think we need to think about greed as a systemic force in this case. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, there are greedy individuals. I mean, you can see Donald Trump as a greedy individual. Yeah. Um, but he's ha hardly the only one. But systemically, uh, what we see it is that every industry that's ever faced the problem of what is making us rich is destroying the world or killing lots of people. And I think about asbestos, tobacco, the rainforest, and now the, foss the fossil fuel industry. There, there's something about, we, we, all three of them made the choice. Let's lie to people in order to keep killing them. And reap, reap maximum profit. Yeah. And, and it's not a human thing, basically. I, I think that there is something in the corporate system as it is presently organized that results in, because it's every case, you know, uh, I don't think most of those individuals necessarily would be making that choice for themselves. But systemically, we have we generate industries that will make that choice and then we have the additional problem in terms of democracy that we have we have allowed our political system to become so corruptible you know, the innocent, you know the, all the way from the decision in 76 uh, uh, buckley versus vallejo in the supreme court which basically said the ability to write a check is protected by the first amendment all the way up to Citizens United. Um, you know, the, 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 there's a plutocratic force at work. I call it pay-to-play democracy. Yeah, and I'm basically pro-market system. I'm, yep. my, I, I'm I a son of a, I'm a son of an economist. He taught me from the beginning, you know, all the wonders of the, of the market system. And we can see that the most decent societies on this planet not to mention the, the freest and, and, and prosperous, are all societies that make great use of the market system. Absolutely. So I'm in favor of it. But we obviously need to make some modifications. And they've got to do with, um, and I've got a book back behind me that I wrote in this uh, 1992 or three, The Illusion of Choice, How the Market 
how the market economy shapes our destiny. And it's like all my work, it's got to do with systemic forces. Mm-hmm. That, the, that the system is great at some things, but it's a little bit like uh, the, the Sorcerer's Apprentice in the Mickey Mouse cartoon in Fantasia. You know, you, there's no off button, you know? Well, so, it, I totally, I mean, it's so, it's, so, it's so interesting to hear you talk about this because I, I think we, you know, having just met, we have a lot of um, synergies in the way we think about things. And to me, it's a lot of this is common sense. So I want to talk about common sense in the relation to democracy, because it does, as you say, require a certain education, a questioning the rational mind that the four founders of America talked about and, 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 and thought that all humans and all people had. And Republican virtue, they also, not in the sense of the party, but meaning in order to make a democracy work, you need a certain kind of character in the, among the people. So, so I mean, let's come back to the topic of power in, in democracy, because this is something that is uh, a red thread through your work. I think when we think about, you know, the insurrection at the Capitol, you know, two years ago on January 6th and the, the, the MAGA kind of sycophants that have allowed the party of Lincoln, really, I mean, you know, that's a long time ago, but even of Olympia Snow, to become what it is. I mean, there's this schism that's happening and the power, it comes back to the reasons that we're talking about. But I don't think that either of us would think that there is good and evil. That's not what this is about. There is something systemic. And how do we move, you know, towards a future of democracy? How, what is the role of power in that future of democracy? By the way, I don't know if we want to go there, but I, I have a very serious point to make about, we do want to talk about good and evil. Mm. Uh, Evil defined as a coherent force that consistently makes the world, the human world more broken. So, I I mean, this is is the work of my last 20 years is to establish in the secular worldview that there is such a thing as a coherent force that can be seen. And when we talk about fascism, it is a manifestation. You can see that it is a manifestation of a force that I can show you. That's fascinating. I don't know if we have time, but I, I, I actually appreciate the point because I, I got chills when you just defined evil because, I mean, to make the system more broken is uh, summarizing, coming back to the systemic, right, that is tangibly making it more broken. I think we're seeing this. I mean, this is what we're seeing. It's not a matter of good people versus evil people. I mean, it's, you know, I live in the Shenandoah Valley, as you said. I am surrounded by uh, 70% of the of the electorate here um, consists of people who supported something which runs completely opposite the values that they stated to me over in the 90s when I was doing talk radio here, they, they, they're completely opposite of the Christian values that they live by in the rest of their lives, mm-hmm. completely opposite the com- constitutional patriots that they, uh, in, that their reference, reverence for the Constitution, and they support something which is systematically, blatantly assaulting the Constitution. Right. There, you know, there's something that has happened that has swept them up because of certain vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't see them as evil people. No, it's political, spiritual, moral, financial, whatever these influences are. 
I've been writing, you know, I'm still, it's still somewhat mysterious to me how intelligent people can be led so that they will believe the obviously false. Yes. And, and how good people, you experience their goodness, can be led to support something which is acting really, uh, check the, all the boxes of how did people used to understand evil when they uh, personified it. Uh, yeah. Not as a systemic force, but as, a, you know, a supernatural being. Yes. They have been swept up, and I've been trying to understand how that happened, but there is something fundamentally mysterious, psychologically and spiritually, in what has happened to a lot of people that is part of what's endangering American democracy. Mm -hmm. and, and, and perhaps not just American. I mean, we just saw, you know, this we, we will be releasing in, in February, but we just saw when we're recording today this past week, the transition of power in Brazil. And we saw a very similar storming of the Capitol as, uh, you know, for Bolsonaro supporters who who also, again, you know, are denying the facts in front of them. Yeah, there's, there, 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 it's almost like you could see a spirit, you know, hovering over the world where you can get people who, with some mixture of lying and lying to themselves, tell themselves they didn't lose the election. Right but not needing any evidence for it. But it gives them an excuse, in a way, to act out some very destructive things. So and, what you, and, and, Oh, sorry. No, I, I mean, I try to understand the people who stormed the Capitol. Some of them seem to have held the sincere belief that they were defending American democracy. So that's exactly where I want to go And as the last question here, Andy. I mean... What is it, as we think about the future of democracy, which sounds very precarious when, in this conversation, right? And I think that many of us are looking at it saying, is it? I mean, we were very relieved in America, and I think the world was relieved with the midterm elections, you know, but seeing what's yeah. played out in, you know, the House of Representatives to which you ran, you know, with Kevin McCarthy's, like, 15th round, you know, nomination slash, you know, voting to become Speaker of the House. I mean, there is something broken, and and each time we're kind of on this precipice of like, is the future a democratic one? So I want to ask the last question in summary. What can the listeners and viewers today do around the world, or, you know, including in America, to shore up the future of democracy for all of us? Well, I think that there's a battle being fought. And I, you know, I sent you a piece called The Battle Between Democracy and Fascism, which is uh, what we've been talking about. And, and the thing is, the battle has to be won. We, we don't want, we don't want Americans of the future to live under the kind of darkness that the Russians are living in now. Uh, we don't want to have power in the hands of somebody like Bolsonaro, who, who's willing to squander the Amazon at the very time that humankind needs to, to be nourishing it because it's the lungs of the planet, which is in the midst of a very dangerously, potentially catastrophic crisis on climate. So we need to fight and win that battle. We don't want people in power who are gonna brandish nukes like Putin has, threatening, you know, that maybe there'll be a Cuban Missile Crisis in the future, which doesn't work out so well. And so we, and we don't want a Bolsonaro, and the Republicans in the United States have done nothing to help us meet the challenge of climate change. So we know that that line of human civilization falling apart is not going to be protected. 
Yeah, the fascistic forces. So we need to do everything we can to make sure democracy wins this battle. That is the first order of business. And so in conclusion, what is the two things that you would ask every listener and viewer to do to to help us win that battle for the future of democracy? Oh, you know, knowing something really clearly at that one level doesn't mean I've got, you know, any genius uh, solutions, you know, people find their own ways of contributing. But voting Um, is obviously one. Oh, voting is one, working in campaigns, uh, you know, giving money. I mean, everybody knows the the, the possibilities. Or maybe talking to your neighbors. I mean, whatever your gift is, you know, the, the world is so broken in so many ways that the healing process isn't going to be uh, in one particular way. It's going to have to be, you know, from the raising of children to the, the organization of collective security at the global level. It's all going to have to happen together. Um, I think that is the the summary. It all has to happen together. And as we said from in the middle, you know, uh, democracy is a tool for civil society to function and continue thriving. Um, Dr. Andrew Schmuckler, thank you for joining us on Future of XYZ. It's a fascinating conversation about the future of democracy. And as we knew going into this, uh, 25 minutes is not nearly enough time to to cover everything. Well, we touched on a few things. We did, which is the starting point for everyone here listening and watching uh, to 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 listen again, to share this with others, to engage on social media. You can find all links uh, to our YouTube channel as well as to our social media and our podcast platforms uh, on future-of.xyz as well as at uh, our new home on Rhode Island, PBS. So ripbs.org. Thank you again, Andy, for joining us. Thank you to all of our listeners and viewers. We will see you in two weeks' time. And uh, for now, let's uh, do everything we can to protect the future of democracy.